remember wanting to tackle my first Thanksgiving dinner after I moved to LA and getting in way over my head and really wanting to do everything. I did not want anyone bringing anything. And We've it, all done it. We've all done it. You do it once and then you realize that doesn't ever need to be done again. I do love entertaining and it's been a joy to feed my family, feed my friends. It's how I show my love to people. Welcome to Homemade. I'm Marty Duncan. My guest today has always loved to entertain, whether on the Broadway stage, on television, or in his home surrounded by friends. You know him best as Mitchell Pritchett from the hugely popular sitcom Modern Family, which earned him four Screen Actors Guild Awards and five Emmy nominations during the show's 11-year run. Lily was up all night because she didn't have Bunny, which means that we were up all night because she didn't have Bunny. She must have cried for, how long was it, Cam? Cam, Cam. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, last night was rough because Lily Covered it. didn't have Bunny. And when not in front of a camera or an audience, Jesse's hugely passionate about cooking. He hosted the James Beard Foundation's award ceremony twice, and along with his cooking wife, Julie Tanoose, an Alabama girl like me, created a hugely popular blog featuring their favorite recipes. Now... Jesse and Julie have their first cookbook, Food Between Friends, coming out Tuesday, March 9th. I'm so thrilled to welcome Jesse Tyler Ferguson to Homemade. Thanks so much for being here with me today, Jesse. It's so good to talk to you. I love your little Southern voice. It reminds me of Julie, who's also from Alabama, my cooking partner. It's just very comforting. I love that you call her your cooking wife. That's so funny. Anyway, congratulations on the cookbook. I saw you open that box on Instagram, and I know what that feels like. I've done three cookbooks myself. You see the galleys, you see the electronic copies, but when you touch it and you see the photography and you're able to see a year or two years of your work right there in a book, it feels like you've given birth to a child, I think. Absolutely. I'm also scared to look at it too closely because, like, are there some mistakes that slip through? Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) You, a notable cook and entertainer in your own right, paired up with a friend that you met at a food event. And the next thing you know, you started cooking together. And then tell me how the cookbook came about. So Julie and I were cooking together. You know, I've always wanted to go to culinary school. Never had the time. Was very busy with my own career. But Julie and I started cooking together and I sort of used her as my unpaid tutor. And she taught me how to dice an onion properly, how to spatchcock a chicken. She just taught me so much about different flavor profiles. And we started putting recipes together just sort of on our own free time. And we housed them on a blog. It caught the eye of some publishers at Clarkson Potter, and they offered us this book. And we'd always sort of toyed with the idea of doing a cookbook. And we had a few ideas and things that we might pitch, but it always sort of felt like it's not time. We need to develop more things on our own. And I think a lot of it was just, you know, we were happy in the kiddie pool. And then Clarkson Potter was like, no, you need to get into the deep end. And they sort of forced us to take that leap of faith, which I'm so glad they did. Well, I think the timing must have been just about right, because after, what, 11 years of Modern Family, you were getting ready to roll that up, and this kept it from being like a big vacuum after that ended, I I imagine. That was really helpful. 
I was so grateful to have something to focus on as I was wrapping up Modern Family. And it was also a blessing in a weird way that some work that I was maybe going to be doing this year slowed down because of this thing called the global pandemic. And I was able to really focus on the finishing touches of this book. So it's been, yeah, you were saying it's about, you know, a two-year process and it feels really astonishing when I look back on those two years at all we've done. I did three cookbooks myself. Most of them are about food from my home state of Alabama, and I traveled the state to get the recipes together. And it is shocking how long it takes. Just the testing of the recipes over and over and over again, making sure they work. I can tell that you went to an enormous amount of trouble to make sure that the home cook as well as a professional, could use these recipes. I can tell you went to a lot of trouble to make sure they made sense. And I can tell that you went to a lot of trouble to tell the stories that go with them, which is the part that I love the most. Right, right. I mean, you know, Julie and I sort of, we're beating ourselves up a a little bit at the beginning of the process, just because there were some recipes that we really wanted to do. And, you know, almost everything's been done. Oh, sure. Very few recipes that are absolute 100% where did this come from? This is a true original. I've never even heard of it. And we really let ourselves off the hook because, you know, this was our version of ratatouille. This was our version of shepherd's pie. This is our version of mole. What it becomes is those stories around why these recipes mean so much to you that really makes the book feel like a special thing and a unique thing. I've read through the book. I didn't know you'd grown up in New Mexico and there is a lot of Southern from Julie, but there is a lot of New Mexico from you. I want to dive into that with some of the recipes that are in the book. But before we do that, I mean, you've been acting since what, when you were like eight? How in the world does a person know at eight years old that this is what they want to do? And then it happened. Yeah, no, I I was very fortunate that I've always had a dream and I was able to see it through. And that was something I feel very blessed that I was able to do. Yes, at age eight, I started acting in local community theaters in Albuquerque. I wasn't being paid anything, but it was something that was a hobby and it was fun to do. And there weren't really theater programs at my grade school or my high school. So I would go elsewhere to get my artistic juices sort of flowing. And I was part of the Albuquerque Civic Light Opera, which would do big musicals. And so it was always something I knew I wanted to do professionally. And I always knew I wanted to go to New York City. And I went when I was 17, basically out of high school. I got into an acting school in New York, a conservatory program. And my dad and I drove cross country and he left me in New York, which I think was really terrifying for him. I'm certain. Yeah, and certainly the life of an actor is a very uncertain career to get into. And I think my parents were very concerned about that. But I was very lucky at age 21 that I got a big break and I made my Broadway debut in a very major role in a musical. And I certainly had patches that were very dry, where I was babysitting to make ends meet and, you know, working at Starbucks. And I worked at a theater gift shop in Times Square, selling t-shirts, you know, Phantom of the Opera t-shirts. Cats. Um, I have one. I bought one. Oh, absolutely. I probably sold it to you. Um, But it was always something that I knew I could do. And I just had a lot of confidence myself. I don't know where that I came from because I wasn't the most confident kid growing up. But with my acting ability, I was always very confident. I don't know where one gets confidence. I wish there was a way you could determine it because we would certainly share it with the world. My dad said, there's nothing you can't do. And I believed him (laughs) because I believed everything my daddy told me. And the fact that your dad drove you to New York, put you out of the car. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm leaving my kid here. And then I'm sure they must be just like, oh my God, look what happened. Well, they're just relieved. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know if it's even pride. It's more just relief. 
What was the favorite thing you've done so far? You've done a lot. I love the Extreme Home Makeover. You've hosted the James Beard Awards. I mean, there's just so much you've done outside of Modern Family and, and of course, your musical career as well. What touched your heart? What was your favorite thing? You know, my career has constantly surprised me. I never thought I would be on TV. I thought I would be like a musical theater actor in New York. And then here I was on a huge sitcom. And like the Extreme Makeover, which you just mentioned, is another example of I never thought I would be on a home renovation show in the role of Ty Pennington rebooting Extreme Makeover. And here I was telling people to move that bus. And so I've, I'm really so grateful that I've had a full and varied career. And even this book is a great example, something I never thought would happen, the fact that I would author a book, much less a cookbook. I think my first love is will always be theater, live theater. I was able to do a one-man show on Broadway called Fully Committed, which was really exciting. And I was part of the original cast of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, which Where was- Where you Leaf, right? You Leaf played Leaf. Yes, Leaf Coney Bear. So, and I got to originate that role and help develop it. And I think that will always stand out, at least up until now. There's still right. a lot of life ahead of me, but like up until now, that's been a really highlight. I'm sure. Sitting in a room at the Emmys or the Golden Globes or any of those things, that must be the most surreal thing in the world to see that along with your peers that you can stand and be recognized. It's very cool. It's very cool to see celebrities who I've looked up to for so many years who tell me that they're fans of mine. Sissy Spacek came over like so excited to meet me. And I was like, you're Sissy Spacek. It should be the other way around. Please back up and let me approach you with an excited air. You cannot be approaching me like this. It's overwhelming for me. All right. So I have to tell you, I am known as Marty Knows Parties. I have a love of entertaining, getting people together. That's what I've always done. Is that how this all really started in your heart, like with the cooking? Or you just wanted to feed yourself? Uh, a little bit of both. And living in New York, I did not have much of a kitchen set up. I lived in a very small apartment in New York. But when I moved to Los Angeles, I had more space and I just challenged myself to be more ambitious in the kitchen. I remember wanting to tackle my first Thanksgiving dinner after I moved to LA and getting in way over my head and really wanting to do everything. I did not want anyone bringing anything. And We've all did, done it. We've all done, all done it. it. You do it once and then you realize that doesn't ever need to be done again. <laughs> so you and Anna Garten have something in common. I think I read somewhere your first dinner party, you thought you would make everybody omelets. She did yeah. the same thing and realized that is a hard thing to do. Yeah, very hard. There's no consistency. I mean, yeah, not, not a good idea. Not a good brunch plan. But I do love entertaining and it's been a joy to feed my family, feed my friends. It's how I show my love to people. You're listening to Homemade. Stay tuned and we'll talk more with Jesse Tyler Ferguson about traditional New Mexican cookies and what makes his version of chicken and dumplings truly unique. There's more to come after the break. I'm Marty Duncan and my guest today is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. You brought up brunch, and I love the fact that you've got a big brunch section in the book. Is that brunch a big thing at your house? Yeah, I mean, like a good Sunday weekend brunch is something I live for. Julie and I toyed with the idea of just doing a breakfast chapter, and I just feel like, you know, I don't know what more I could add to that. I mean, I love eggs, I love bacon, I love pancakes, like, but like, I, I wanted to do something that felt a little bit more special. Like, this is like the, the Sunday 
special breakfast chapter. So brunch is something I love. I love some of those recipes. Which one do you think most, like if I showed up at your house for brunch, what would I, without a doubt, find on the table? One of my favorites from the book is the Christmas chilaquiles. I thought so. Chilaquiles with red and green sauce. And that's how any restaurant in New Mexico that serves, any new Mexican restaurant in New Mexico that serves chili, there's always the option of red, green, or Christmas. And I always go for Christmas. So you get the red and the green. Get the red and the green. I love the way that you explain about the red chilies, the green chilies, hatch chilies, how important they are to New Mexico and to the culture there. Will you educate us a little bit on all that? And, and I'm still learning as, as we're going, but I learned so much with just the little research I had to do for the book. And I've always been fascinated with chilies and how they can taste so different. And truly, even a variety of chili can taste different depending on the weather or the humidity or if it was a year with a lot of rain. I mean, it really affects the taste of the chili, which I think is fascinating. Hatch green chilies actually come from an area called Hatch, New Mexico. Basically, it's a very small town, and every chili season in Hatch, there's a huge influx of people that come to the city to harvest the chilies and bring them back home. And it happens like in a window of time. I'm not sure exactly what that window of time is, but the town just grows. It, It booms during that Hatch chili season. So I always like to have some in my freezer. My family's always sending me hatch chili from that time of year. It's such a staple of New Mexican cuisine. And there's both hatch green chilies and and red. We've all been to the grocery store and we've seen the little cans of the diced green chili. And it says hatch green chili. And it's basically that, but in in a canned form. But of course, if you can get it fresh and roast it yourself at home, either on the grill or in the oven, it's even better. That is one I'm going to add to my repertoire. I also love your shakshuka because you did it green instead of tomatoes. You used a lot, like I think we'd say probably LA style. You put a lot of green to it and it's maybe a little healthier than a regular shakshuka. Yeah. Yeah. That was one that Julie sort of helped me develop. And I remember her leaving me a voicemail where when we were brainstorming ideas and she goes, ooh, ooh, Southern shakshuka, Southern (laughs) shakshuka. So that's her kind of take on a Southern shashuka. See, I kind of attributed that to you because it has the tomatillo and the detached chilies and the kale, all that I thought was probably a little L.A. slash New Mexico. It's a perfect hybrid. I think there's a lot of recipes in the book that become true hybrids of of Julie's history and mine. There's another, so much green chili in the book. There's a hatch green chili chicken enchilada pot pie. I saw that. That looked great. Yeah, it's great. But with a lot of the same components that make it a true pot pie, but with corn tortilla instead of flaky crust, which is really fun. But there's a lot of recipes like that that are true hybrids and marriages of Julie's histories and my histories. I'll tell you one that shocked me. It was your chicken and dumplings, not hers. Right. That shocked me. You have the sweet potato in there. That looks so good. Walk us through the chicken and dumplings, if you don't mind. So... I had never made chicken and dumplings, and it's, it's Julie's go-to comfort food. And it was during the early months of the pandemic, and she was walking me through her standard recipe for chicken and dumplings. And there were so many of the ingredients I could not find. The stores were just, the inventory was really low at the beginning months of, of the pandemic. Oh, gosh, yes. So I was just sort of grabbing what I had in the house, substituting certain things for other things. And I kind of ended up creating my own chicken and dumplings that that was very good. And so Julie tried it. Julie sent it to her mother to try it. And Julie's mother was so confused by the addition of sweet potato. Sweet potato, yep. Yeah. She really was not, she's like, I don't know about this. I don't know if, if this is going to work. And now she's made it. That's the only way she'll make it. She only makes her sweet potato now. 
Well, you know, the gross potatoes here, so yeah. they, I don't know why we never thought of it. Way to go, though. Good job. Another thing that I really want to learn how to make from the book, so I thought I would teach myself today right before we did this, and it was a favorite cookie recipe of yours that you have around the holidays. Now, I'm not sure if I'm going to say it right. I'm probably just going to butcher it to pieces. Biscochito? That's basically a biscochito. So tell me about that. How did you come to have that in your life and why did you include it in the book? I mean, biscochitos were made every Christmas, every holiday season. They're a traditional New Mexican cookie. It's basically a celebration cookie. I think in like the early 80s, it was named like the cookie of New Mexico. Oh, wow. Which I, I, I didn't know. It's like a shortbread cookie. They're actually made with lard, which we do not make ours with lard. We make ours with butter. And we decided to change them into cookie bars. So they're a little bit more like a blondie, but like still has the spirit of the biscochito. It's got great licorice flavor from, from the anise and the cinnamon and the sugar. It's, it, they're just really delicious cookies. But I have such nostalgia for them because I had them every single holiday. It, my mom would absolutely always make them. Um, I feel the same way about my mama's fruitcake cookies. So I know yeah. exactly. That just has, I don't care who you are, where if you have that thing that it just sits in your heart. And yeah. when you taste it, it just transforms you, takes you back. And it's just not Christmas without those things, right? Well, um, I read in the book, there is a place that you have to go when you go home. And it's the place that inspired that green chili chicken enchilada is it called Sadie's Cucina? That's right. Because you love that so much, you recreated it and put it in the book. Yes. I used to work at a restaurant called Sadie's. It started off as a little three-stool restaurant in a bowling alley. And it became so popular that people would wait hours and hours and hours to get a seat at the counter and have this Mexican food. So finally they expanded into a full-size restaurant and the restaurant itself kept expanding. Like they would add rooms and just sort of grew into this thing. And it's probably one of the largest restaurants in New Mexico now. And I worked there as a host. And even when it expanded into this massive restaurant with like five dining rooms, there was still such a high demand for the food and long waits, especially on weekend nights for for a table. And I was the keeper of the keys as the host. You know, I'm the one who gave people the table. And it remains one of my favorite restaurants to this day. A lot of it's just nostalgia. I love walking into that space and sort of the smell. And it takes me right back to working there when I was 16 years old. But I would always, always, always get green chili chicken enchiladas, which is a very standard dish in New Mexico and really a lot of Mexican restaurants as well. But you could tell when it was a Sadie's green chili chicken enchilada. And so I took the spirit of that and we made it. We have a green chili chicken enchilada pot pie in the book. I can't wait to make that one. So one other fun thing I want to mention about the book that, so y'all have to help us because um, Julie and Jesse included a recipe in the book that's from a church lady cookbook. And I'm the giantest fan of church lady cookbooks. I got a huge library full of them, but they have one that's called Tammy's Party Squash. So Tammy, they don't know who she is, but she wrote a recipe for this cookbook and they used that recipe as the basis for their recipe in their book. It was so good and they liked it so much. So it was from the First United Methodist Church in Coleman, Alabama. So if y'all know who Tammy is, shout out, let her know that they have called her out in this wonderful new book, Food Between Friends, and she's apparently a friend too. A lot of questions for Tammy. Yes. Yeah, me too. I know we can find her. There's going to be like 900 Tammies who are going to call you saying, I have a 
a squash, a squash recipe. <laughs> right. Well, I absolutely love this book for a lot of reasons. But y'all have called out a lot of chefs and a lot of people who've influenced your own cooking. And I think that's wonderful. But the other thing that I love is that I'm also, through the book, experiencing this whole New Mexico thing with a lot of the different chilies and things that I didn't know about. So I'm looking forward to those. I think y'all have really blended those two things so nicely. And like you said, there are your recipes, there are her recipes. Piece, and then there are these compilation recipes that blend the two of you together, like the Christmas sauce, I like guess. Christmas sauce, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I want to just say another thing that I thought was so important is your dedication in the book. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, the dedication to our, to our kids? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm a new dad. My son is now, at this recording, almost seven months old. And Julie has two kids. And I just sort of put that there as a placeholder. I was like, I'm not sure. Maybe we'll dedicate it to our children. Maybe we won't. But as I stared at it more, I just felt it was the right thing to do. Because so much of the book is recipes our parents passed down to us. And I felt like it's just an extension of that. I think that's so important. That's yeah. what recipes and cookbooks and all of this were supposed to be about from the beginning is passing these heirloom dishes and these family traditions down from one generation to the next. All right. So your favorite dish in the book to cook. Oh my gosh. That's like asking your favorite kid. I know. Well, I only have one right now, so that's easy. Yeah. But, uh, gosh. Oh no. I'm going to tell you the, the dish I, I seem to make the most. Okay. And it's a sorghum stir fry. Really? Yes. It's our chicken ah. sorghum stir fry. Sorghum is a, is an ingredient that I didn't know really anything about. And Julie loves it. Yes. Uh, I'm sure you know all about sorghum. And I do. All the time. It's also an ingredient that's sort of hard to find unless you live in Alabama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like a winter wheat flour or stone-grown grits. Exactly. Um, yes. Not that easy to find. I ordered some off of Amazon. I actually have a few in, in stock. And the base of this stir-fry sauce is sorghum syrup. And it's really good and really easy. I just hope people enjoy the book. I'm looking at cookbooks in a different light, having been a cookbook author now myself, but the head notes are just so important. The stories about why these recipes are in the book, I think are just really so important and really make the book what it is. And it's a very humorous read too. There, there are heartwarming moments in the book, but also I think some of the head notes are pretty, pretty funny. So I'm hoping people will enjoy it and also be entertained by it. It was my favorite part of the book. I mean, I love the recipes, of course, but I love reading the notes. I love reading about how you guys interacted and how things came to be or where it came from or who influenced you. Yeah, loved it all. And you should be very proud of yourself because I know what kind of work goes into this. Yeah. So congratulations. I think you've done a really Thank great you. job. And I, I feel like there might be a Beard nomination in your future. You never oh, know. Come on. You never know. <laughs> and it's not like, you know, you haven't been there before, but I bet it'll feel a lot different sitting in that seat if your book was nominated. It sure would, yes. All right. Well, listen, Thank you again for taking the time and sharing some of your day with us. I know everybody's enjoyed it, and I certainly have enjoyed getting to know you a little bit. I'm going to post a picture on Instagram of this bizcochito. I cannot wait to see it. Yes. Okay. All right. Fingers crossed. I'm going to run in there right now and take it out of the oven. All right. Enjoy. All Thank right. you, Marty. Food Between Friends comes out Tuesday, March 9th. 
In it, you'll find modern California food with unique Southern and Southwestern flair. The recipes are easy to follow, and you'll love the stories behind the recipes. Find it wherever you buy books or visit julieandjessiecook.com for more information. Coming up on the next episode of Homemade, I'll be joined by Camilla Alves McConaughey. While you may know her best as Mrs. Matthew McConaughey, she's also a philanthropist, an entrepreneur, a mom, and a great cook. It's not as hard to do better for you as most people think it is. And it starts with the simple thing. Parents say this all the time. Parents go, my kid will not eat this. My kid would only eat this. But eventually, at the end of the day, we are the ones responsible for what we bring into our household. We're the ones buying the stuff, and not just for the kids, but for ourselves too. But if you start there, it's already a huge change that you can make that would trickle down. Camilla is so inspiring. I absolutely love talking to her. So you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe to Homemade right now. It's easy. Just one click. And we'd love your feedback. If you could, please rate this podcast and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. This podcast was recorded in Birmingham, edited in Atlanta, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Homemade is produced by All Recipes with digital content director Jason Burnett. Thanks to our Pod People production team, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Jim Hankey, Maya Croft, and Erica Wong. I'm Marty Duncan, and this is Homemade.